This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Well, now we turn to the Ten Commandments. If you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and it's been a long series, but the book of Exodus covers 40 years, so I have lots of time. We're still good. But we have been looking at the Ten Commandments, these ancient laws that God gave an ancient people, and we're trying to figure out what do they have to do with us today, here, now. And so whether you're in the house, whether you're joining us live or on podcast later this week, I want to say that God has something for you, even as we complete and finish the last of these Ten Commandments and what they mean. And so I want us to read in Exodus 20, 15. I've chosen the thou shalt translation because it's just, it kind of really hammers it home for us. So let's go ahead and read together. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not testify falsely against your neighbor. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, husband, spouse, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we read those and we look at these three final commandments of the ten. And we're going to look at what they would have to do with us today. If you're just joining us, well, welcome. You showed up on the Don't Steal and Don't Lie sermons that as we move through the book of Exodus. But I believe, like I said, that by the time you leave this teaching in this place, my prayer is that God would have shown you something new about himself, his kingdom, and that you courageously have chose inside to align with him and his truth. So let's look at this first one. You shall not steal. Much like murder, it seems pretty open and shut. You know if you've murdered somebody. We talked about last week. You kind of know if you've stolen something. Stealing is when you unlawfully take possession of something that is owned by another. Stealing is a breach between two separate parties. One side takes what one side owns. And in the Old Testament, there are many teachings. And even in Exodus, as you move forward, there are many teachings on the nuances of stealing and what happens if you do steal and what happens if your, your, your livestock gets loose on someone else's property and eats their crop. I mean, like there's all kinds of, of laws and, and teachings around stealing and consequences and all these things. But the bottom line is this. When someone has possession of something, it's theirs. Don't take it from them. To do so is theft, it's stealing, it's robbing. And God makes it clear, he does not want his people to participate in this. We have to remember contextually, he's talking to a generation of people who had just come out of slavery. And the slavery that they were in was generational slavery before them. Parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And it could have been, we have no proof of this, so I have no proof of this, that it could have been part of their culture was to take what they could from the, the people who they were slaves of. Um, that, we don't know for sure, but God is saying in this new culture, in this new society, as I brought you out of slavery to be a culture like I want you to be, we shall not steal. We shall not take. And oftentimes in our cultural culture here in America, there's been these studies and, and statistics that say we are okay with stealing if it's from somebody who has more than us, who, who has enough, a big corporation, a rich person. Like we have cultural okay stealing in, our, in America in some ways, and God is coming to them in their cultural okay stealing, and he just makes it clear. Hey, if something belongs to somebody else, don't take it. 
God is reframing for them what it looks like to build a society and a culture that everyone should work and should earn and should have the wages for their own and their own property. Now, stealing requires two parties, an owner and the one robbing, and it's a sin between those two, whether it be property or in our day and age, even intellectual property or anything else they own, do not rob. And the Bible uses this, this language about robbing and stealing throughout when it comes to taking from somebody. But there is one exception to stealing that is not between two people. And the Bible talks about this at length. And so I'm going to mention it briefly because it does have to do with this Ten Commandment of stealing as you look through the Old Testament. And it's a stealing that God talks about in a different relationship. God uses the same language that he uses here when he talks about his people who do not honor him by bringing him their tithes or generously their offerings. And in Malachi 3 verses 6, he goes into depth of what it means and he uses language like robbing and stealing um, that it isn't just between two people, it can be between us and God. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, goodness, it's, it's the money sermon. And I even invited my friends, and, and now they have to. Like, I, churches and money, we get it. Like, we have got a terrible reputation in church talking about money. I understand. We've earned it. Churches have misappropriated and misused these things, and so churches usually lean one of two ways. Either, A, they're all in on money, and, hey, I'm going to sell you this blessed cup of mint tea for $39.99. It's going to change your life. And if I did that, I think that would be a breach completely of what God's doing in the Bible. That's not how we teach money. So, so some churches, they go all in on that, and some, they, they, they avoid it altogether because it is awkward. And here at the Orchard, we talk about money when, it, when it's appropriate because you know who else talked about money? Jesus. He preached more about the topic of money than he did about love. Go look it up. And there's a reason. Do you know why? Because when it comes to money, it's mine. And, and I get pretty defensive about it. And there's nothing like money to, to kind of to get, to get into our heart and to, to grab hold of us. And, and Jesus knew this, and that's why he talks about it. And God brings up the money conversation when he talks about robbing and stealing between two different parties, and he's one of them. God knew our tendency to get defensive and to get uh, protective in these areas. And God says, bring to me what is mine. And he uses very clear and strong language. Amy and I in our, in our marriage and in our, our house with our kids as we're training our children, we have a saying. When it comes to our money, it's all God's. It's all God's anyway. Yes, we give monthly, uh, you know, we give our tithe monthly, but also wherever he would have us, like places like Compassion or other places. It's all God's. My time, my talents, my treasures. They're on loan from him. They're his. And he can, he can have whatever he would take. And so while I don't have time to go into all the Malachi 3 and what it means, I do want to just encourage you to look it up, talk about it in your community group. What does it mean in context of these commandments? Because bottom line, how I honor God with the resources that he has entrusted to my life is more important than we give credit to. And it does relate to this commandment and the way he connects it with language. So this commandment right here, do not steal. It's pretty cut and dried. Don't take what belongs to another. And Paul in the New Testament, he talks about this in Ephesians. He says, anyone who's been stealing, he goes, steal no longer. And so perhaps this is you today. If there's an area where you've been kind of taking somewhere where you should not be taking, Paul says, anyone who's been stealing, this is Ephesians 4.28, must steal no longer. Instead, you should work and do something useful with your hands that you may have something to give to those in need. Do you see, even when he says don't steal, it's that you earn to give, which is the way of the kingdom. 
to be grateful for what God has given you, to generously give however he would have it. So thou shalt not steal in your relationship with other people, in your relationships at work, and in your relationship with God. Don't take what belongs to somebody else. The next one is this. Thou shalt not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, what does that mean? The language can be kind of cumbersome here. But at its core, it means don't speak falsely. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie about somebody to the authorities in court. Don't don't gossip and, and rumor about people. Don't speak falsely. Don't lie. Speaking truthfully about other people, speaking truthfully to people and about other people is important to God. And when it says your neighbor, it doesn't just mean the neighbor on your property line. The Bible is clear. Your neighbor is your neighbor in life, and that means it's your friends. Don't lie to your friends. Don't lie about your friends. Don't lie to your coworkers or about them. People in your community. Also, people who vote like you. People who don't, like, don't vote like you. People who you love, and also your neighbor is your enemy. Speak truthfully to those people. Speak truthfully about those people. Don't lie to other people, and that means all people. And again, these are relational commandments that God is revealing to this ancient people who have come out of these generations of slavery. He wants to show them what it looks like to build an honoring society where they honor God and they honor each other. And here's the fundamental truth of lying. Truth is the foundation for a healthy relationship. If if there is not truth, you will not have a healthy relationship. Because lying erodes. It is a cancer to a relationship. Truth is the foundation of a healthy relationship and a healthy community. If you have marriages and someone's lying, the relationship, something's eroding there. If we have coworkers and someone's lying at work, the business is in jeopardy. If you have community and someone's lying, the, the, the culture is in jeopardy. If you have a government and the some ones are lying, we have a nation in jeopardy. Because lying erodes the foundational bedrock truth of relationship and community. It's important to God and his people, and he knew that. It's important to us. Listen to what Paul says about people who were gathering in the, in the book of Ephesus, and he says something that applies to you and to me. He says this. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, and that's many of you, you've heard about him, you you've know the truth that comes from him, throw off, put off your old sinful nature, your, your old ways of living, which is corrupted by lust and deception, your desires inside and your deception, the way you talk and you lie and you brag and exaggerate. Put those things off and instead let God's spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on this new nature. You were created to be like God, to be be like him, to be righteous and holy. And so stop telling lies. Be truthful. Put off your old way of living, of desires and deceptions, and instead speak truth. Don't steal and don't lie. And here's the application for these commandments. Like Paul said, these ways of deception are very common in our culture. But if you've come to know about Jesus, we put them aside. So, where, ask yourself this, where am I currently stealing? And for some of us, This might go, it's like last week, where am I currently murdering? I'm good on that one. Some of you are going to say I'm okay, but where is it you would be taking something that isn't yours? Where is it you are currently doing that? In your life, is there a place where you are taking, where you don't have ownership? Could it be that in some places, something God has entrusted to you, you need to adjust and out of gratitude, give to him. It could be you're taking something that belongs to another person. If there's any area like this in your life, I would encourage you, 
not in condemnation, moving away from God, but in conviction, moving toward God. Confess those things and align and adjust to heaven. And do not steal. If you'd like, go read Luke 19 in your study this week. Luke 19 is the study of a, a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus came to Jesus and said, if I have stolen from anybody, watch me. I will make it more than right. And he shows some, some of us what it looks like if we have been stealing to go make those things right. Here's what we want to do. Align our lives. Align our hearts. Align our wallets with heaven and the commandments of do not steal. This is one of the most difficult places for many of us to adjust because it's about money. And that's one of the places we go, God, hey, I love you with everything I am and I'm holding on to that except for this. But this is one of the places when it comes to stealing and our money that if we can unplug from those areas, we unplug from the matrix of this world. When in gratitude, we become generous. When we're, where we're stealing, we become honest and we stop those things. I would encourage you to, during the prayer time, to, to pray and ask God to reveal any places where you are taking what is not yours. And perhaps have these conversations in your community group this week or in prayer or in counseling. The second application, where am I currently lying? Where am I currently withholding or not telling the truth? Where do I need to go make this right? Where do I need to go bring some light to where there is darkness? Where do I, where do I need to adjust my life to the truth? Because I have been off in these areas. And this is an area you might need to go to somebody and confess. I have lied to you here. I've been lying to you here. Never a fun conversation. But these are the Ten Commandments, and God is asking us, His people, to live as it, with truth internally and to speak truth. And those places where we have transgressed to repent, which means to turn, confess, and then live differently, live truthfully. And this leads to this last commandment where I want to land. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this is the 10th commandment. This is the final commandment. It's probably one of the commandments that you know the least about because he gives us a few specifics. He talks about oxes and donkeys and servants, spouses, but then he just says, or anything else. So first of all, we have to ask this question, what is coveting? I, I, I would guess that most of us in here, we're not talking about coveting much in our own life. Coveting isn't a word we're using, Coveting might not be something in our life that we're, it's on our radar, that we're looking for. But he says here on the 10th commandment, not to covet these specific things or anything else. In other words, don't covet in your heart. What would that look like? What does that mean? Well, coveting means to enviously desire what belongs to somebody else. Coveting is things like greed, like envy. And even those things, Envy and greed, we don't discuss those that often. What's ironic to me is that coveting is probably one of the most rampant, viral things that our nation, our culture does to us that we deal with that we don't talk about. Materialism all comes from the soil of coveting. We hear of envy, we hear of greed, we hear of coveting, but it's not something we talk about much. It's probably not something we've looked at much. It might not be a mirror we've held up at ourselves and said, where am I coveting? That's an important mirror to hold up. The 10th commandment, do not covet. What does it mean? 
Well, here's some examples on how coveting can move some, from simple appreciation to an emotion, and that's a difference. It's okay to appreciate your neighbor's ox, okay? But coveting your neighbor's ox is something altogether different. Appreciation is not what it's talking about, but an emotion of envy, of greed, of desire about something someone else has, is. This is keeping up with the Joneses. This is trying to get what somebody else has. Don't covet somebody else's house, it says. We see the house, uh, and, and oftentimes here's what happens, especially in our area, if, you, if you're here. There are some houses in our area that just don't exist in other areas. Have you noticed that? You drive up valley, you drive around, and you, might see, and you might see a house and go, whoa, I appreciate that house. But the more you get around it, and, I, and having grown up here, I've seen it happen to a lot of us as we've gotten around um, this area, is you begin to see a lot more of nice houses. And you begin to compare a lot of houses. In fact, comparison is where covetousness just launches itself. Because you can have a really good house until you see somebody else's. And if you've had one child, you don't know this, but if you've had two kids, you know what I'm about to say. I bring home a special fizzy drink for my kids. And I say, get your cups. I'm going to give you some of this. And guess who's watching it like a hawk to see how I'm, how I, I mean, I, I, my kids aren't precise on anything until they're sharing something. And then like, oh, you got to drop more. And then the drop comes out. That's a drop too much in hers. You know, it's like, like come on. In fact, if I, if I just said individually, here's yours and here's yours, there's no comparison. They're just happy with what they have. But comparison sparks covetousness. And as I drive around and I have my little cup and I go, well, but, but they have more. But they have more. Suddenly, what we have isn't as good as we thought it was. And so it says, don't covet your neighbor's house, people in your community. We struggle with that. We see things, and it makes us see what we have. It says, don't uh, covet your, someone else's spouse. I wish I was married to someone more like that. I wish my wife or husband were more like them. I desire their spouse. It says, don't covet their servants. This is, this is the luxuries. Have you ever, you know, other people have luxuries you don't have. Oh, I wish I had someone to clean my pool. I wish I had a pool. It's a good start, just paying a pool boy to clean nothing. I wish I had someone to clean the house. Like, uh, all these luxuries. It's, it's in coveting that I don't have what somebody else has. And then it goes into this. Don't covet their ox or donkey. When was the last time you saw a good ox? And man, I covet that ox. This is transportation, okay? Man, that's a nice truck. I thought I had the good one, but mine's, mine's last year's model. My car's last year's model. You know, you, you drive around and begin to compare what you're driving to somebody else's and what they have. And then it says, or anything else, which is a good just kind of captured all. Don't covet anything. And that leads to a place that, that impacts us, us that they didn't have in the Bible. Because we have something called um, social media, which is simply coveting university. Like it is just where, it's, it's, it, all it is is coveting. We have online shopping. You can go, I, I, I'm reading my Bible app, working on this, and on the side it's popping up things like, oh, I wish I had that. Like it is everywhere. There's advertising, there's marketing, there's commercials, and then the social 
media. I mean, it's all one giant advertisement to covet, to see what someone else has. I mean, have you ever, this is just me, I'm just going to be very vulnerable. You see somebody else's social media post, they go on vacation, and they have that, that beach vacation. You say, oh man, that's nice. And it goes from simple appreciation to, you know, they had a really good vacation and I didn't get one. But it goes farther. You see, I was, I was thinking about all the things that social media spark for us. You see someone's perfect photo. You see that photo, that family photo. It's just perfect. It captures their kids and their, their love between them. It could be just two people, a husband and wife, or a, a, and it just captures the emotion. And you're like, oh, I covet that. And now you didn't know that they fought the entire way to the photo shoot and they wouldn't even speak to each other when they left. It doesn't matter. I want it. I want that. I covet what they have. Social media, it, it, it takes coveting to a whole new level. In fact, did you know there's lawsuits about social media? You've probably caught wind of these. There are people suing social media because it is harmful to the, the, the identity of young people only. Not, not us adults. We are good on this, I'm sure, right? Do you know what? It's almost as if God knew something about coveting that the lawyers are just catching up to. It's not good for us. And you take a young person who's impressionable and you show them someone's best moments online and their friends having that. You show anyone the best moments and what's the one thing you do? You compare. And you're comparing your reality to someone's best moment without knowing their reality. Social media is being sued because of this. And all it's doing is proving the 10th commandment, that coveting is more harmful than we ever could imagine. Last week in the, in the uh, do not murder and do not be angry sermon, and do not lust, there was a verse that I didn't get to that said, you know, if, if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. Now that's a pretty big one, right? Yeah. So I'm just going to apply it to this one. It's not in the Bible, but if your social media causes you to covet, gouge it out, cut it off. For some of you, the best thing you could do is to cut off your social media. Why? Because you cannot go through social, you can't do anything that's causing you to covet and be content. Coveting by its very nature will rob your contentment with your marriage, your kids, your life, your vacation, your car, your house, your ox, whatever it is, it's going to rob your contentment. And all I'm doing is scrolling. But in that scrolling, internally, coveting is growing. And it's stealing our contentment with our lives. And when contentment leaves, it takes gratitude and generosity with it. This isn't in the notes, but I just want to challenge you with something because this is what I've been doing. I can't stand that I, have, I do this because it's not fun. If there are places or people you covet, here's, here's, here's the diagnosis and prescription. Pray God blesses them. Oh, you're scrolling through and you see that person who's always posting that thing and they post a new one. You know what you do? Father, I thank you that you've blessed them so much and I pray you give them even more. I pray their next vacation is even better. Begin to pray blessing in the places you covet and relentlessly go after coveting. It's a sin. We're okay with it, but it robs our contentment. Instead, as you scroll, as you drive, as you begin to see coveting on your radar now, when you face it, 
pray God blesses the very people, the very person you're coveting from. Pray God gives them even more. That, that will help cleanse your heart of these things. God knew that coveting would rob the joy and the peace and the contentment from his people. And so he told an ancient people back then, don't covet. And it is applicable more than ever for people now. But there's more to coveting that meets the eye because coveting is very unique on this list of 10 commandments. Let's review the last five commandments, okay? Don't dishonor your mom and dad. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Each of those have an external action or speech. There's something I am doing, okay? In some way or another, I am doing something to break those commandments. I have to do something to murder someone, right? You know when you committed adultery, there's an action, or when you steal, or when you lie, they're external. But coveting, this last one, where does coveting take place? In your head, in your heart. In fact, you can religiously keep all the commandments really well, and people will think you're doing really good, and be full of coveting. You can never steal. You can never cheat, murder, or lie and internally be so full of envy and greed and coveting that your heart is bitter and craven. Hey, I didn't take any action. I I didn't sin out there. Coveting is unique on the list because it's the only one you can't see. You You can religiously fake the rest and no one would know. But coveting, It works into your mind. It works its roots into your heart. It begins to to marinate your emotions and envy. It begins to to flavor your feelings and attitudes and, and coveting. It's the root of the other ones. It's the root of the other sins. Committing adultery, that's the action, but it started by coveting someone else. Stealing is taking what's not mine, but it started by coveting what they have that I want. Coveting is the root. Coveting is the root of so many of these commands that God calls us to to live apart from. So what's the answer? Orchard, we might not have thought of coveting before this, but it needs to be on your radar and it needs to be high up on your radar. You need to begin to watch your life, watch your thoughts and watch your feelings because coveting will lead to further sin and coveting will work its way and grow. Guard yourself. Do what you need to do on social media. Disengage, take a fast, do the prayer for other people where you find yourself coveting. Guard your heart because it's something you're dealing with on the inside. It will infect your attitude. It will affect your emotions and minds and contentment, and it will likely lead to action down the road that you never thought you would have done. No one who commits adultery thinks two years before that, "Ah, I'm pretty sure I'll do that. No, it probably just started with some coveting, but give it time and privacy. So look for coveting and root it out. God calls it sin, and we allow it to fester. It grows a crop that destroys marriages, destroys careers, destroys families and futures. So I'm making this heavy because it is heavy. We're not to take coveting lightly. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said this, beware, guard your heart against every kind of greed. That's envy, that's coveting. Life is not measured by how much you own. Guard against every kind of greed, envy, and coveting. 
Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor and what they have. Don't compare yourself to others online. Don't desire in your heart what others may have because life is not measured by what you own. And to take some more words of his, what would happen if you got everything you coveted and lost your soul? Life is worth, there is so much more to life than what we can gain. Coveting will tempt you to pursue everything in this life except the one thing that matters most, your relationship with God. Proverbs 4.23 warns us against this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And if coveting is a place in the heart, then our sin will come from those things. Sin grows. Your words, our words, they flow from our heart. Our actions, our attitudes, our, our generosity, our lack of flows from our heart. So guard your heart. Guard your heart from coveting. Jesus says this. He says a good person produces good from the treasury they've put in their good heart. And an evil person, person produces evil from the treasury in their evil heart. What you've put in, what is in there, you will produce out of. And coveting is underground. It's in our heart, and we likely haven't dealt with it much. It's time to get it on our radar and asking God's Spirit not to condemn us, but to convict us and lead us away from it into truth, into joy, into peace, into contentment, and into gratitude and generosity, the hallmarks of a life not stained by coveting. Don't take it. Don't take it lightly. Don't take the effects of social media and online shopping lightly on our hearts because it's a lie. Coveting will lie to you and it will grow evil. Fantasy and desiring what is not as yours, it's a lie and it's hurting you and your relationships more than you know. So where is it today you need to go, I obviously have been out of bounds in coveting. I didn't know this. I didn't know when I let my mind go off on these fantasies of having all those things and having that thing and having this and wishing I had those desires. I didn't know those attitudes. I didn't know those fantasies. I didn't know those coveting things were a sin. God calls it what it is. In Orchard, we believe in truth and adjusting to it. I say this often. When you encounter the truth of God, you have two choices. You can justify your way of living and continue on, or you can adjust your life to his truth and align yourself with heaven. When it comes to coveting, let us confess our sin during communion. Father, forgive me, and let us adjust our life to his, his truth. And I want to I end by taking a look at these Ten Commandments as a whole. I wanna, we're, we're wrapping up the Ten Commandments, and I want to take a look at all of them. We studied all, all ten of them in the last weeks, and so which, were the, which of the ten is most important, would you say? You'd probably say, like, well, the first one, right? Some of those God ones? Did you know that someone walked up to Jesus and asked him which commandment was the most important? They asked him the very question, which of the Ten Commandments should I take the most heavily? Which one's the most important in my life? Listen to what he said. Matthew 22, verse 35, an expert in the law. The law is the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Tested Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, all that we just studied. And Jesus said, well, it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament. What he's saying here is that the entire Old Testament hangs on love God and love people. And I'm gonna show you something. Let's show this right here. You see the 10 commandments down there below, one through 10. 
The first four commandments are this. No other gods before me. God, first and foremost. Worship no idols. Do not use the God's name in vain and keep the Sabbath holy. Love God is the first four commandments. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength fulfills the first commandment. The second one is this. Number five, honor your parents. Then do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. Each of these commandments flows from a heart of love people. And so we look at all these things. Okay, I can't lie, I can't steal, I can't do this. What Jesus says here is the entire law, the entire Old Testament, and those 10 commandments hangs, and you can see it there, they hang, they're supported, they summarize. It comes from love God and love people. It's not just our vision and mission for an accident. The Bible is summed up in these things. And so as we finish the, the, the Ten Commandments, I want to show you that it, it all goes back to loving God and loving people. Paul says this in Romans 13, 8 through 10. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. That's the Ten Commandments. For the commandments say... You must not commit adultery. You must not murder, must not steal, must not covet. That's the Ten Commandments we've been talking about. These and others like it are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Because love does no wrong to others and it fulfills the requirements of God's law. It is fascinating to me that the entire Ten Commandments we've just studied are summarized and hang from love God and love people. Orchard, that's what we are about. That is how we are going to be, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then doing so, have no other gods before him. Worshiping no idols. Loving other people as ourselves. And we stop lying to people. We, we stop lusting. We stop, we stop coveting. We stop stealing in places. That we are pursuing God in, in, in our lives above all things and bringing our lives into alignment with his commandments. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament and they all summarize into this. Love God and love people. So Orchard, as we go into communion today, what do you need to confess? Before you take the elements of God's, of Jesus' body and blood shed and broken for us, confess your sin to him. Forgive me in the places I've, I've stolen, I've coveting. Forgive me the places that I'm angry and lust, I've forsaken you is my first love. Forgive me. And then thank him for the sacrifice of Jesus, that there is grace and covering for those. And orchard, then let us go forth and live in a new way. Like Paul said, to put off the old life, put on the new life, and move forward apart from those things. Father, I pray that these huge, huge things of Ten Commandments, you condense them down into our hearts our spirits, our minds, and that we love you and we love people. Father, hear our prayer in this place and may your Holy Spirit deal with us gently but clearly in the places we need to align with you and confess. In Jesus' name.